greetings in Jesus' precious name this morning. Before the message, just a couple introductory comments. So, Uncle John, it's uncle to me because his wife, Anna Mary, is my father's sister, uh, messaged me Friday evening that they were not feeling well and could I fill in for him. Well, I was willing, but we had plans Saturday, and so I asked him, would it be okay to bring a message I've already brought last Sunday? And he thought so. So, that message is from 1 Peter, this should ring a bell in your minds, 3, verse 8. And it was in our Sunday school lesson, and I would not normally preach on a verse that we've just covered. I don't know what each class talked about, um, but we will use that text this morning and maybe go a little different direction, or at least we'll build on what's already been said in Sunday school. The other thing I wanted to just compliment you all on is your impact and influence here in the community. Uh, Brother Mark gave me one of your business cards a couple weeks ago. I like it, a spiritual oasis in a world of thirst. And it just warms our hearts to know that there's a church here in Harrisonburg that is engaged with the community. That's very obvious. You have signs out by the road. Um, there's just many, I see many evidences that you are reaching out and, um, and making a difference here um, in Harrisonburg. Okay, so for the message, um, the other little piece of background is, is at Strasburg. I think many of you have been there. It's a, it's a refurbished or repurposed school building, and so up front behind me would be a blackboard that goes from edge to edge, and it's wonderful for writing notes and diagrams and comments on for whoever's speaking. And then above that, there's a bulletin board, maybe this tall, that goes from edge to edge. And I suppose that in its school days, it had the alphabet up there, or maybe the cursive letters for the children to um, um, review or become acquainted with. But it's been a practice there since we've known of Strasburg to put a verse up there. And it's changed a couple times a year. I don't know what the schedule is, but the current verse is this verse. And it didn't really click in my mind that probably that verse is chosen for the coming Sunday school quarter. And uh, it's a key verse for the quarter. And so that's probably why this verse was up there. But uh, as an exemplification of this verse, there was a picture put out on Teams or Telegram or something that putting up that long strip of paper, it's probably, I don't know if it's 24 or 30 feet long. Um, and so it requires some coordination and a good bit of help. Somebody took a picture of quite a number of people standing on chairs, holding it up there while it was being stapled. And I thought that kind of exemplified what 1 Peter 3, verse 8 is saying. So now we, um, we get to this message of uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. When I first saw the motto, it struck me as a good uh, verse, a theme verse maybe that would fit for a home. Our home could use some of this. It might fit for a church, might fit for a New Year's message, um, some goals for the new year. I will read from 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 1, so that you understand in verse 8 why he says, finally. So starting at 1 Peter 3, verse 1, and reading uh, rather quickly down to verse 8. Peter says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Or if you were in the King James, finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Or one more translation yet. Revised Standard says it this way. It's a bit poetic. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of the brethren, a tender heart, and an humble mind. And you might notice there at the end, it uses the word humble instead of courteous. And I noticed that about half of the English translations used humble instead of courteous. So they're probably quite related and maybe translators um, had a bit of a time differentiating which, which one. But they're also quite similar, really, when you think about it. So as I think about this verse, um, a couple things came together for me. One was, um, why did he say finally in the middle of the book? So if you have 1 Peter there, you have five chapters, and he says finally in the middle. Why is that? Well, he was summarizing, I think, what he had said to that point, and maybe especially what he was saying in chapter 3 about relationships in the home. Um, but he also had talked about suffering for the Lord, and so you would have to think about your attitudes toward your persecutors. And he says, finally, after all of that. And um, was the rest of the book just a long postscript, a PS, or um, was he like some preachers? They, even after they say in closing, they still have a good bit to say. I'm not sure. Um, but he, he says, finally, and then goes on to touch on some other things that they were facing the church that he's writing to. So I, it was hard for me to separate between um, sympathy and compassion. Um, so I've rolled those two together and tried to condense this a little bit. So we have the subject of unity. That is, have unity of the Spirit or be of one mind. We'll talk about that. We also have love in the brotherhood, and that is next Sunday's lesson. So I will probably go lightly on that one and let the teachers pick that up. We have the idea of, of um, compassion or tenderheartedness. Um, thirdly, and then lastly, an humble mind or a courteous person. And we'll close then with courtesy in the brotherhood. So as we think about unity, um, I think this came out in our Sunday school lesson this morning about unity and how far do, do we think when we think about communication, um, what does unity look like? Um, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians 4. Some of you have probably heard me say this before, but we tend, I think, as people sometimes to focus on our differences, which are quite low as far as percentages go. We may agree with someone, whether it's at work or at church, maybe even 98% of everything, and yet there's 2% we disagree on, and so we tend to get wrapped up 
and focus and think about and try to resolve those last 2% when I think we would spend a little more time back on the first 98%. And I think that's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians when he writes here, Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. And so Paul is saying the same thing that Peter says, basically, in our verse. But then he says this, as far as unity. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, and so he's focusing on the similarities, one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. So that's, that's a hope of eternity with the Lord and a hope of a life with the Holy Spirit guiding us. He also says in verse 5, there's one Lord, that's Jesus Christ, there's one faith, that's Christianity. There's one baptism that's being baptized into the body of Christ. One God, um, God himself, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so I'm saying as far as unity goes, that I think sometimes we focus on unity and we try hard for unity when actually unity, like some other things, maybe like humility, is a byproduct of a deeper thing. And that deeper thing is having a common focus, a united front, a clear vision, and I think if our focus is, is more on what we agree on and we encourage and build up and communicate like our lesson was today, um, unity becomes kind of a side effect of love and communication in the brotherhood where if we work so hard on the last little point that we don't disagree on, that we do disagree on and we feel like we have to resolve every tiny infinite detail, um, we can lose unity because we just get, we get, we get wrapped up in what we don't exactly see eye to eye on. And so unity has a lot to do with focus. It should be outward and upward. And if it's inward, it should be strictly on ourselves and not, not critically toward our brother. It does say to admonish one another. I, I agree that that is necessary. But unity in the brotherhood uh, doesn't have to be perfect unison. Uh, Someone explained it this way. It's like singing, they said. Singing in unison is beautiful. Singing in harmony is better yet. And when you sing in harmony, there may be someone on this note, another group on this note, another group on this note, but they're not in disharmony. They're complementary. And so as we think about that, I'm glad that our statement of faith, it's general principles. Largely, it says for the men... Hair should be neatly trimmed. It doesn't exactly say one quarter of an inch. It says for ladies, modestly dressed or of not showy fabrics. That's general principles that can be applied. I'm just glad that doesn't say you have to wear Nikes or you have to drive a Dodge or your car must be um, whatever. Um, there's, there's actually a lot of latitude in our, in our belief, not in our belief, a lot of latitude in our actual personal choices but we have general principles that do cover and if our choices are complementary and our hearts are generous toward our brothers and sisters i think unity becomes a just kind of a a nice warm byproduct of good brotherhood secondly let's think about compassion a little bit we have that verse here in first peter compassion I noticed especially, you can read this in the Gospels, so Jesus, when he was here on the earth, his ministry lasted three years approximately. And I think those three years were, 
were tremendously busy and maybe a good bit stressful. Um, not that I think the Son of God was stressed, but there had to be a lot of pressure. There were many people that were sick. There were many needs to be met. There was his disciples to train, um, and Jesus was meeting these needs. But I notice many times in the Gospels, and you, let's turn to Matthew 14, just as one of these. There are quite a number of others. I have wondered before, we have many stories of miracles. How many people, were there people, that were not healed? Um, when Jesus visited the pool of Siloam, which I noticed recently in the news was maybe open to the public recently, I'm not sure. Uh, he healed one person, and yet you know that there were many people around that pool waiting for healing. Why did only one get healed? But yet for that one, it made a difference. And I noticed in Matthew 14, verse 14, 15 and 16, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I'd just like to note that he was moved with compassion. And numerous other times in the story of Jesus, that's what it was. He was moved with compassion. And so I'm suggesting today that compassion and sympathy are maybe a little tiny bit different in that sympathy is what we feel in our heart when we see a need. And that is a great first step toward compassion. But compassion puts the need and the resources into action. And so when Jesus was moved with compassion, he does something about the need. He healed their sick. This also comes out in the story of the Good Samaritan. You can find it in Luke 10. I won't read it, but it says a certain Samaritan, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so what separated the Samaritan from the priest and the Levite? They may have had sympathy. They may have felt bad. They also may have been in a hurry. They may have not wanted to become unclean. They may have had a thousand good excuses not to get involved, but the Samaritan shines in that story as a compassionate person because of what he did. He interrupted, he gave, and also noticed, uh, lastly here, that the prodigal son, when he was returning, it just says the father had compassion. Well, he was a wayward child. He had wasted half of the money. Um, you know, there might have been other responses that he could have had, but the father had compassion, and his compassion moved him to run out there, hug the smelly guy, put on a feast, and welcome him back um, with a, 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 quite a celebration, really. But yet I, I sensed the father's heart. He was extremely glad to see that son coming back. We also have this, uh, John writes this, whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him or his bowels of compassion, how does the love of God abide in him? So I've been wondering about this, this thing of compassion. We, we see so many needs all around us. I, I can hardly describe the needs that are not just in Harrisonburg, but in street corners, they're in the world, they're in Ukraine, they're with Christian Aid Ministries, they're in our own families, they're with our neighbors. 
you know, how do you respond to all that? How do you process all that? I think this is what I see myself doing. I do see the need. I, I recognize the need. I, I'm aware of it at some level. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Um, second thing that happens, let's just say someone's holding the cardboard sign at the entrance of Walmart because it's a real life example. So we start thinking, well, what should I do? Should I stop? Should I put some money out the window? Um, is it legitimate? What if they're making a better living doing that than working for $14 an hour? You know, we think of all these things that runs through our mind. And I think actually that is kind of where the breakdown happens is right there. And then the stoplight turns green and we move on and we had a little sympathy, but no compassion. We just didn't address it in any way. Um, so we failed to carry it out. And I'm, I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging you that, that we, can, we need to move our sympathy into compassion. Don't be overwhelmed with the entire world's needs. God did not expect one person to fix everything. He just wants us to do what we can with what we have in some situations that we are aware of. And so it might be simple, something simple like the gentleman that brought or lady who brought the cold water up here. That's a blessing to me just knowing it's there if I need it. Um, it might be a kind word. It may be a Christmas plate to a neighbor. It may be a $5 bill to the person who has the cardboard sign without a critical attitude. You know, knowing that, okay, I gave the gift. Now it's their responsibility and the Lord's what happens with that money. I close this point with this quote from an ungodly man, but he was right. General George Patton, he was not godly, but he said this, a good plan executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. And I think that is what stands in the way of my compassion a good many times. I think, well, it will suit better another time. I would need to think about this. I will, I, it doesn't suit. Or whatever other thing we can come up with. I remind you, a good plan executed now, if God's Spirit is moving in your heart, is better than a perfect plan next week. The problem with a perfect plan next week is next week never comes. <laughs> There's always the future to give. Let's, let's be compassionate as we have opportunity. And I think as we have opportunity is the key word because God just places little opportunities. There are little windows. Time is moving. It opens. We can either act or not, and then it closes and we go on. And I think history will be written by what we did with those little opportunities to bless people. Okay, let's go thirdly to love. I think it says love as brethren. Some of you, I know, have brothers, and some of you have sons, like more than one son, sons. And I'm wondering how this strikes you. <laughs> Love as brethren. And so our boys um, stick together pretty tight, but they also scrap a little. And um, I think that's pretty common, <laughs> just by your faces, that that can be true. Um, when he's talking about loving his brethren, I think we're talking about the higher of that in that that brothers will stick up for each other kind of through thick and thin. Somebody said blood is thicker than water, and that pretty much means that if, if he's my relative, I'll, I'll stick with him. Even I might not perfectly agree, but we're still, we're brothers. <laughs> and so we will, we will stick together. Love as brethren. I would just like to say uh, love is all through the Bible. I hardly know where to start and stop. And Peter wrote this, and I wonder if Peter was thinking about when Jesus, okay, he had 
He had denied Christ three times. And so his love had run out and he had betrayed the Lord. And then Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And he basically said, do something about it. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so maybe, maybe Peter was thinking about that when he says love is brother. And he's talking about relationships and the brotherhood. Also, this whole thing of love, you know, the, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. And the second, Jesus said, is love your neighbor as yourself. And I just remind you that love is the operative word for both of those. And so love is just the verb that the whole gospel is com composed around. I think someone in men's Sunday school class read John 3.16. God was moved with love and gave his only begotten son. Jesus was moved with love. He had compassion. And so you might say that love underlies unity, compassion, courtesy, and humility. Also this morning, um, I think 1 Corinthians 13 was read. And my mind went to that because Paul was writing about love. And let's just turn there uh, briefly to notice something about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. I want you to notice that love does not exist in a perfect environment. Love is expressed when love faces difficulty. In fact, Jesus said, if you love those that love you, what, what's so notable about that? What is so complimentary about giving so you can get back? Rather, love is a response to difficulty. Notice verse 4, charity suffereth long. So there is suffering. Somebody is causing trouble and is kind. Charity envieth not itself. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemingly, and so that's the natural reaction is, well, they did it, so I'll do it back. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and so it sounds like there's somebody provoking a little bit. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things. Oh, so there's things to bear. There are injustices. Believeth all things, hopeth all things. Yes, in an imperfect world, we look forward. We hope all things, endureth all things. That's because we live in a very imperfect world, endureth all things. And so I just remind you, love isn't a, a perfect thing in a perfect vacuum with everything is just all good all around. No, love is a proper response to a rather improper surrounding. You can see that in 1 Corinthians Peter writes later in the book, and above all things, and so this is kind of another one of those finally statements, chapter 4, verse 8, have fervent love among yourselves. Next thing we have is this word uh, pitiful, and I've rolled that back into compassion, but I didn't want to talk about pitiful just a little bit because just the other week we said to one of our children, don't be pitiful. <laughs> and I think what we meant by that is don't don't cry crocodile tears. Don't be overly dramatic if you have stubbed your toe, but it's still attached. Um, don't be easily offended. And so rather when we say the word pitiful, um, I think we mean show or exhibit pity toward those in distress. And so that's a good use of the word pitiful, uh, better than when we are self-focused and, oh, it's me and all these troubles, um, to be 
show pity is to recognize that we're very blessed and there's needs that we can meet. Fourthly, let's think about this thing of courtesy. Um, I think that's the last thing he says, be courteous, or a couple English translations say, have humility, an humble art, an humble heart. So courtesy is, um, I thought about this in relation to our lesson a little bit, um, communication needs to be courteous um, to ask someone when there's a bad report. You know, courtesy, ask a question. I heard this. Or courtesy approaches someone in gentleness and meekness. Um, courtesy is having good manners. Someone has said that if courtesy is just common courtesy, why don't we see more of it? In other words, where has it gone? And I think I know where. It went south, um, down to the Carolinas, where they say, good morning, sir. <laughs> and um, how you doing? And so I'm not sure if we became aware of this because Brandon Bang married our daughter, but he says to me, and I'm still getting comfortable with this, good morning, Mr. Steve, um, as a son-in-law. And so if maybe courtesy is not alive and well, but it's healthier if you go south just a little bit. And I'm not sure why that is. When you go north, it seems more goal-oriented, probably higher output, but a little more curt. And I will be honest, I would rather drive in southern traffic than northern traffic if I have a choice. If you're buying a vehicle and there's one in New Jersey and there's one in North Carolina, it, I know which way I would like to go. And it's not only because of the road salt. There's something about going down south that's refreshing. There's some southern hospitality down there. So if we could kind of recognize that and realize that we're on the very northern edge of the south and understand that we have maybe a little room to grow sometimes. I'm speaking not only of churches, but even of families. Courtesy is being polite. It is not curt. Courtesy is not curt. It is somewhat genteel. I'm trying to find some words that you can, that you can get a hold of. Um, a little bit cultured. Um, it has to do with proper etiquette. Um, maybe it helps us to think a little bit about what is impolite. You've all seen impoliteness or impoliteness as in a lack of um, awareness of what is appropriate. I think um, selfish would be an antonym for courtesy. Selfish is just what's good for me. When I was growing up sometimes when somebody was a little bit pushy to get to the line, somebody would say, after me, you're first. And I've thought about that a little bit. That basically means me first. <laughs> and then you next. Well, J-O-I says it the other way around. And so being courteous is probably thinking about uh, not so much what do I need or want or think, but how does this feel or sound to someone else? Um, another antonym would be um, rough. There seems to be a general movement in society today. I mean, I'm, I'm in here a little bit that, um, that well, I'm just, I'm just bearing my heart. And maybe they use that as an excuse to um, come across a bit uh, more forthright than necessary. Another antonym would be um, 
a, a redneck. Um, I don't know how to describe a redneck, but uh, maybe just a little bit of, of this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we'll do it, and we're proud of it. Um, that doesn't sound like brotherhood to me. Somehow brotherhood and, and submission and working together is not there. Uh, barbaric. Um, we'll maybe take note of a, a passage where barbarians were actually courteous. Um, another antonym would be crude, which I hope uh, we never have um, any hint of. And as I thought about it, you know, discourtesy, or it can range from a wide variety all the way from the oblivious, as in I do something that is not courteous and I have no idea. And so it's kind of you to let me know that in some kind of a gentle way um, to the obnoxious, as in I know I'm big and loud and I don't care. That's just how I am. And so discourtesy can kind of cover the whole range of those two things. This morning, I'm holding up Abraham as a, um, a little bit unlikely example of courtesy. If you have just a little bit of time, not right now, but think about, you can read this in uh, Genesis 23, but there's two times that I think that Abraham shows as exemplary in courtesy. One was when he and Lot were both very prosperous. I don't know which was older. Abraham was the uncle. Lot was the nephew. But their herdsmen were arguing, and it had to do with crops, pasture, uh, maybe water. And Abraham recognized the need, and he said to Lot, why don't you choose? And you can take the left or the right. You can take the plain or the hills. I'll take what's left. Well, that is super courteous for a very wealthy man, a very influential man. And it's interesting that Lot makes not much comment. He looked, he saw, and he chose. End of story. And then, well, not end of story, because that led Lot down a path that was very detrimental to his family, even to himself. There's another time that Abraham um, negotiated, if you will. Um, it's in Genesis 23, and that's a passage you might just look up sometime. It's, it's a little lengthy, but I'll refer to it. His wife had died, and so he was under great distress. He was in a foreign land. He was not a landowner at that point, and he wanted a burial place. And so he approaches the sons of Heth about buying a field. And he says, I want to buy a field for a burial place. This is in Genesis 23, 6. And the one man says, I know. I, you're a mighty prince. I will give you a field. And Abraham got down on his knees. It says he knelt down and he says, no, I want to pay for the field. And then the man said, well, the price is 400 shekels of silver, but what's that between you and me? And I just say this negotiation sounds so different than the one with Lot, as in you can choose and Lot chooses. Um, and so these, this Sons of Heth, Hittite, um, they were kind of negotiating about who was going to get the better end of the deal, but not because of a cheap, but the other way around. And I say that's, that's different in a blessing if you think about courtesy, exercise great courtesy. And so it actually turned out well. He ended up paying for the field, and I think the local people where he dwelt were blessed by his generosity. He didn't haggle. Uh, except that he wanted to pay and they were willing to give, but he ended up paying. 
Also, um, as far as courtesy, somehow courtesy and hospitality go together, and we felt that this morning. Someone called us last evening to make sure we were well taken care of. Um, this actually also happened in Acts 28. Remember that Paul and companions were shipwrecked. There was a storm, there was rain, and there was cold. And then all these people ended up on this island. I don't gather that the island was real large or real populated, and they did not have enough accommodations, so they built a fire. But Paul makes this note, or no, I don't even know Paul, if Paul, it's whoever wrote Acts said the natives and um, maybe other translations might use the word barbarians, showed us unusual kindness. And so if you want something to get a hold of on courtesy, just get this one, unusual kindness. So there's a normal level of kindness and then courtesy and maybe even Southern courtesy takes it up a notch and does a little more than you even expect. Also noticed in verse 10, they provided such things as were necessary. And so that's basic hospitality right there. Such things as are necessary. Maybe the whole subject of etiquette and courtesy seems kind of big, and you don't know where to start. I'm just going to give you this one. If we could exercise our, let me rephrase, if we could please exercise our please and thank you muscles a little more, that would be a great start. That is one thing that I notice um, courteous people doing. And so I'm offering this as a bit of a um, building on our Lesson this morning on communication in the brotherhood. Communication and courtesy go so far. So we might make these goals. I don't know if you're looking for goals for the new year. Unity in the brotherhood. Love in the brotherhood. Compassion to the needs. And courtesy. Well, those are my goals. God bless you all.